everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Back with me, as always, is Taryn Sharma. We even have a special guest today on this most special day of uh, on the baseball year when pitchers and catchers are reporting. Um, really happy to welcome uh, Evan Drellick from The Athletic, author of Winning Fixes Everything, which is in bookstores this week. Uh, it's how baseball's brightest minds created sports' biggest mess. Uh, Evan, again, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on, uh, on the release. And um, how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing all right. It's uh, you know, uh, Alex Spear, who's a, a reporter at the Boston Globe, told me, you know, release week's going to be pretty busy. He wasn't lying, but that's a good thing. It's better to be busy than not. So I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, so I guess right off the bat, I do want to, you know, simply as an observer of the game, did you find it tough to wade through everything you were researching or, you know, were there moments that you were genuinely floored by what you were learning? It, look, the breadth of the material, the 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 simply the the compilation and arrangement of all the different facts and narratives was, was tough. But as far as like the the impact of the material, you know, the the anecdotes and stuff like that, my reaction was was wow or whoa, this is wild a lot. You know, I I don't know if um, I think what was hard is you 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 get all this information then you have to piece it together and you can kind of see in your head uh how it fits together and um you know meanwhile this is a topic a lot of people are talking about and writing about and doing podcasts about whatnot and and it's like you know you you feel like you have it all over here but but you can't talk about it yet because you got you got to put it all together right you got to get the words on the page um but yeah look i mean there was the, the type of stuff the Astros were doing behind the scenes, how different it was. The public image of the Astros, I think for a long time did not line up with really what was going on behind the scenes and, and I, you know, getting, getting under the hood. It's a phrase I've been using. Um, it, it's very eye opening and I, and I hope people feel that way when they read it too. Yeah, it's uh, great that this book has come out. There aren't too many stories that when they hit the baseball world that they transcend that and really dominate pop culture. But I think almost everybody, the fall of 2019, when you and Ken Rosenthal broke this story, uh, was making those trash can jokes. And and so I think it's really important now. Everything is kind of uh, put together and, and people can read from beginning to end how this went down. And it wasn't just the Astros, right? This is going on elsewhere. Uh, I saw a great interview that you did on The Athletic talking about this new book. Uh, and a Dodgers source stated that everyone was engaged in some sort of base running scheme. Uh, this is what the Astros were doing on the road. Um, but the Dodgers were doing this as well, the Red Sox. Um, were there teams that the, the teams that were bad during that time, were they just bad at sign stealing or were there teams that were quote unquote noble enough to try to win on their own athletic merit? So a lot of people uh, in, in including th this part of the book that you're referencing do say everybody was doing it. Um, I don't think that's true. I think that's an easy, uh, kind of way to sum it up what we have you know the question that I, I try to deal with when i'm asked about this is 
what do we have evidence of? We have evidence of veteran contending teams in uh, using a base runner system. The Astros then used a, a, a different system that's widely considered more egregious with the trash can system. And the it was entirely off the field, right? And there was no runner on second base at all. At least the base runner systems had this pretense of a runner, but it, it, it was still cheating. Um, you know, you had veteran players go from team to team. Outfielder Chris Young, he's on the Yankees. Yankees are kind of ground zero for this, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, he goes to the Red Sox. What? You guys aren't doing this here? Oh, you know, we got to start doing this. Carlos Beltran, he's on the Yankees, ends up in, in Houston. Um, and they they don't just do what the Yankees are doing. They they take it a step or several steps further. So what the evidence says that we have so far and over time, who knows, right? Who knows what is or is not further revealed is that um, the better teams, the more experienced teams, the ones with the players who kind of had that guile and, you know, know where to find that little extra edge. They move this direction. I, I, I think it's very unlikely that, you know, 30 or even 20 teams are all using a base runner system. If you told me it was a third of the league, would I believe that? Yeah, I guess I could believe that. If you told me it was six teams, you know, sure. It, it, um, but but yeah, that, that's, an, uh, I think, an important point to clarify. Just because somebody says, oh, everybody was doing it, go get the evidence, show me that that's the case, right? It's like, it's like an easy kind of offhand dismissal of the whole thing that a lot of like players do. It's just It's just a quick reaction that's not quite right. So following up on that, um, you, these players kind of go around the league after leaving the Yankees. And in Houston in particular, how did it really get so out of hand where it got to the point where it was more egregious than the other base runner systems? In Houston, primarily Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran looked at the system and felt like it, it was ineffective or or needed to be more effective too slow they wanted more of it they wanted it you know not just if a runner's on base and, and so they used some uh ingenuity i guess we could say right and they had a they had the the screen hung in the tunnel just behind the dugout and took it to the next level and it, you know it wasn't there's a quote in the book uh where where Remember the Astros talking about how it wasn't like all of a sudden it debuted on X day and kind of rolled. Um, well, it did kind of roll, right? It 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 picked up steam over time. Uh, and you know, did they use it on literally every pitch? No. Was it? Did it always work every time? No. Um, but you know, it was steadily available, and and, it, and its usage did appear to grow over time. And uh, you know. You pick your head up one day, and well, you've you've got a whole whole new level of cheating scheme. <laughs> now, Evan, b- before the Astros got to that level of of just egregious, you know, levels of cheating, you know, this was arguably the most advanced organization in the sport, building uh, an extremely sustainable and successful product. And your book explains it really well that you know these are the smartest minds in the game doing things with data that had really never been done before. Um, and, uh, and that's outside of, of the, the video scouting, you know, signs and stuff. Um, you know, they, they undoubtedly changed the game, um, you know, as more information, as you were referencing players coming into the clubhouse and saying, oh, guys, we could be doing a lot of things a lot different. 
you know, they just took it way too far. Knowing what we know now, what would you peg as the driving force behind it all? Uh, just a higher level of sustainability, um, flat out, you know, greed for success. Um, I'm curious. The driving force behind the cheating or otherwise? Be behind taking it from having just a, an extremely advanced metrics and data system that's already producing tangible results and taking that into the realm of just blatant cheating. Well, you know, look, in the case of the there's kind of a few elements um, to it. Players naturally and this did more or less get developed in the clubhouse, right? There, there was this element of the front office. Uh, a guy named Derek Vagoa had created a spreadsheet that sounded a little more evil than it was called Codebreaker. It wasn't like this artificial intelligence thing that that could uh, that was super precise. Basically, it was a catalog of signs, right? So, you know, you you, you would put in, okay, catcher puts down his finger, uh, put down two fingers, and they threw fastball. And you do that enough times, well, then you can kind of figure out going forward in Excel, uh, okay, this catcher put down uh, a two. What what does that mean? Is is that is that going to be a curveball or something else? Um, Players and certainly the Astros front office uh, always want an edge, right? And in Houston, yes. the, the whole build of the front office was around really like two things, profits and winning baseball games. These are not uncommon goals in the sport, but the Astros were, were so kind of aggressive in their pursuit of innovation and um, finding any edge that they could that what ends up doing them in is the things that they're not paying attention to, right? They, they, they were very smart about uh, figuring out how to, how to build rosters, right. And, and player evaluation things, but they, they stepped on a lot of people, angered a lot of people, upset a lot of people along the way. They pushed a lot of boundaries um, and including some at the end that, that they shouldn't have pushed. Right. So the whole environment is based around, getting an edge, getting an edge. And then, well, you know, you, you got to know where your guardrails are. And when you fire everybody in the organization, when you have an insular front office, uh, you might arrive at a point where uh, you don't know how to find those guardrails. Right. Yeah. Karen, I think you had something, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, um, you, you mentioned in your interview uh, Manfred's comments, Commissioner Manfred's comments, that the scandal is going to follow these players forever. Um, I, I'm thinking also about the guys that did kind of more or less blow the whistle. Mike Fires on here, uh, maybe Josh Raddick a little bit as well. Uh, how are they regarded today within the baseball fraternity? You mean Raddick for, his, for the comment about the Dodgers? Right. I didn't see that honestly get a lot of attention. Um, look, fires, you know, are the original story Ken Rosenthal and I have at the athletic has four sources. One of them is on the record named, and that is Mike fires. Right. And uh, that has certainly come with a toll for him. You know, it, it, it is something that will always be attached to him. Um, you know, for, from my perspective, it, it's, I think people have assumed that because he was on the record, 
that the entirety of the story and the reporting hinged on him. Uh, and, you know, that that easily could have been the case, but it was not it was actually in this case, not the case. Um, you know, nonetheless, right, if 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 you are willing to go on the record and, and uh, put your name out there, uh, you're going to get some blowback for it. And, that, and it's the reason why whistleblowers, you know, even anonymously, but but uh, in outside industries, too, are, are rare It you know, for people to step up and speak out when they see something wrong uh, or a group that they're a part of doing something wrong. It doesn't happen very often. And, uh, you know, team wide cheating schedules don't happen very often either. The, the, the whole thing is a very unique set of circumstances. Um, but I, 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 I imagine it will also fi- follow Mike fires forever you know, I think if there's a perception that this story does not come out without him or that he decided to blow the the lid off the whole thing, the story was coming uh, before we spoke with him. It, it was, I think, fantastic and important to get somebody on the record, um, but in a way to kind of lessen the burden he wasn't the only one talking to us and um he was actually the last of the four wow now evan as, as a fan i feel like houston's 2022 title went a long way in creating some space between you know houston as a franchise and and their tainted championship and, and what they did we're finally seeing carlos beltran makes make his way out of those doldrums via front office work with the mets he's getting some hall of fame buzz I guess kind of extending off of Taryn's question, do you think that the players still there, the guys who experienced both championships, even front office personnel or players or coaches who might have left who were still kind of attached to it, do you think they'll ever be able to live that down? Like, will the game ever collectively get past it? I guess it depends what you mean on get past it. You know, I'm thinking like, well, you know, do we have any examples of, of similar things when Mark <laughs> McGuire was, was that shoeless Joe Jackson, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Mark McGuire and, and Barry Bonds both became coaches. Yeah. Uh, but the topics didn't go away. You know, it, 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 it's not as though people forgot those histories, you know, that team wide cheating, an individual cheating can kind of play a little differently. You know, it, it's, it, it's more of a group responsibility and it, it's a tricky question. How do you assign blame? Or even if you were punishing, how do you punish when it's team wide, right? Like, yeah. okay. Is it who uses the system? Is it who starts the system? Is it who stands by and just watches and enjoys the results of the system, but doesn't use it? You know, how do you divvy that up? Um, I think the association will remain there uh, you know as you're pointing out with carlos and look aj hinge has a job alex cora has a job yeah um you know life goes on it it, it it's not as though th- th- these people are are ruined but reputationally and topically yeah it'll still exist yeah, it's gotta be tough. Like, like correa signed 800 million dollars worth of contracts this offseason <laughs> it's not bad when you can sign three different deals in one winter, right? <laughs> but look at a guy like Bregman or even Altuve, who are terrific, you know, upper echelon level level ball players. But 
like you said, it's always going to be attached to them. And I'm very curious to see how it all transpires down the end of their careers. If they're ever, if they're in the, the hall of fame. But no, nobody sits there and goes, Bregman and Altuve aren't good ball players, Right. Yeah. You know, so sometimes I think I think it's a little bit of fighting ghosts. You know, I, I was on a Houston radio station earlier, and and you know, I hear this from from Astros fans. Altuve has made the face of it. What, I understand that that Astros fans are, were unhappy about the buzzer um, stuff, but which didn't come from the, you know that was not something Ken and I reported. It was it was it was a rumor that that caught wildfire. <laughs> if you survey baseball fans. Um, I think most of them would say, yeah, Jose Altuve is a great player. And, you know, this is kind of the tragedy of the whole thing, right? It's like they did it to themselves. This is self-inflicted. You know, they were a talented group anyway. And to kind of give people reasons to doubt you or do anything but disgust your talent, it's really too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think Altuve in particular is such a tragedy because his story was one of my favorite baseball stories that I've experienced in my life, just given what he overcame in order to become one of the best second basemen in the league. Um, I have one last question for you, Evan, also looking forward. Uh, Do you think that Pitchcom has more or less eliminated some of this uh, team paranoia that exists around sign stealing? Uh, Has that gotten better? I mean, even publicly, we don't hear as much as we used to, right? You know, if you go back to 1819, the, the finger pointing publicly before the uh, our story was out, you know, people were lobbing allegations. It, 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 there was much more of a fervor around it. You know, MLB has put in rules. They do have the pitchcom system and, uh, you know, more than just rules. There, there's additional enforcement now. Um, people we'll always try to get an edge inside or baseball outside of baseball. People are always going to break rules. People are always, are always going to cheat. It, it's it, there. There will be someday another great uh, cheating scheme. Presumably someday as well, there will be another great uh, uh, public scandal, but you know, you have to catch it, right? Like you, yeah. you, as technology improves and maybe as people get smarter and smarter, you know, maybe people just get away with stuff, but, um, you know, I, I, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so you never can sit there and declare now the game is cleaned up of it. Now, I don't know who the hell knows, <laughs> you know, they, they, it, it's certainly the public clamor around it. Um, but, you know, players firing crossfire allegations that has quieted. Well, if the next scandal does pop up, um, Unfortunately, if it does pop up, we can only hope we get as great a recount of what happened as we do in winning fixes everything, Evan. I mean, this is just an incredible, incredible body of work. Um, congratulations again on the release, on research coming to fruition. Just it's uh, it's really it's got to be a special feeling. I'm, I'm I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I'm just glad the. The hard thing for me, like I was getting to earlier and probably stumbling through my words is I I wanted it out. I wanted the story and the stories put together and in people's hands. It it was tiring sitting on my hands. But yeah, look, the next great cheating scandal, uh, 
somebody else can deal with it. I'll I'll be <laughs> sitting on a beach somewhere. <laughs> well, um, Evan, again, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, we can't extend our congratulations enough. Everyone, if you haven't ordered yours yet, it's Winning Fixes Everything. It's how baseball's brightest minds created sport's biggest mess. Um, anywhere books, books are sold, bookstores online. Of course, we always like to plug uh, your local shops but um whatever's easier for you i believe it's harper collins i believe so my publisher is harper yes harper okay well you guys know where to find that um evan very uh really very kind of you to come on and join us we can't thank you enough thanks guys we'll talk soon excellent all right guys me and taryn are going to be back shortly uh after the break with a little bit of mets talk since again it is the the first day of uh spring training so uh hang tight we'll be right back Hey, welcome back, everybody. That was fun. Good yeah. job. Shit, I messed that up, bro. I'm going to start start that over. Sorry. <laughs> ah, all right. Andrew, we're counting back down. Three, two. All right, welcome back. Well, that was a good time. Evan Drellick from The Athletic coming down to talk about the new book. Again, everybody, please check it out. Uh, really can't say enough good things about it it was kind enough to get an advanced copy i'm sending it over to taryn today and uh yeah this is really just great stuff so what's up buddy i know you've been you've been a busy bee at work what's going on yeah i I was just gonna say everyone should go buy a copy so that evan can be on the beach when the next scandal hits (laughs) we should all be on a beach at some point right i agree um maybe a fish show on jones beach um Dude, it's like my favorite venue in the world. <laughs> I, so, uh, dude, I'm telling you, you go to the upper deck, the upper the upper row of Jones Beach, and you can just see the bay. You can see the ocean on the other side. As long as it's not windy, the sound is perfect. Yeah, that place is great. I've never been. Mets in my here, right? We should probably Mets it up. Sorry? Send it to Mets podcast, right? We should probably get into the Mets at some point. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a great day. Uh, pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, we're 10 days out from the first spring training games, which will be on uh, WCBS 880 uh, for those that want to listen. But um, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, we know that the broadcast booth is going to be the same on the uh, on the TV side. Um, the uh, the average age of the uh, radio side, I think, somehow got lower with uh, with Wayne Randazzo moving on to the Angels and a twenty uh, five year old and a twenty seven year old coming in to uh, replace him. Yeah, hey, I mean, you know, all the congratulations in the world to uh, to Wayno, friend of the pod, of course. Um, you know, you could probably you could pretty much peg that as he was getting those Apple gigs last year. Like, you know, even when he was getting, you know. Um, reps for Gary at SNY when he was out, you know, he's just, I I enjoy him. I always enjoyed Wayne. Um, I think Howie with the new guys, Keith and oh my goodness, I should have this written down. I do not have the other name here. That's shame on me. Demerits points for me, no points for me, (laughs) but um, yeah, I I think that 
you know, we've seen Howie kind of adjust to new partners in the booth a couple of times or in recent years, whether it be from Gary into the into the whole, even on TV, he adjusted really well. I think just the sign of being a professional. But I'm, you know, I always one, I always enjoyed baseball on the radio, and two, I'm really looking forward to a new, I guess, a new buzz when you're listening to the Mets on the radio. I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be fun, and uh, you know. Any game that is not on SNY, I'm typically listening uh, on the radio. So it is a big part of my summers. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how it goes. And uh, if they can pick up Howie's references, I, I think that they'll be fine. <laughs> it's always fun is uh is is like you can almost feel the uh the generational gap you could feel between howie and wayne too and and it always you know it always made for some entertaining uh moments but um but you have any in- input on where the mets will be look i know buck was talking about it yesterday on uh in port st Lucie. any ideas where uh they're going to be going as far as regular season opener and home opener in regards to Verlander and Scherzer. Do you think well, they even care between the two pitchers? Uh, yeah, I think they absolutely care. You do? You think it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think for all of Max's comments this week that, uh, you know, we're in a different place in our lives. Uh, it's probably going to be a different type of relationship. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, right, there was a lot of, we'll say unfriendly competition between Max and JV when they were, in Detroit before uh, when, when Max showed up in that Curtis Granderson trade um, from Arizona, uh, Justin Berlander was already more established. He had already been in the league for a couple of years. And, uh, and I think that there was uh, a, a bit of Max wanting to prove himself. Well, both of these guys have proved themselves. Both of them are approaching 40 years old. And, uh, and so I, I think that competition is going to make, the top of this rotation even stronger. So yeah, you mentioned Buck's comments uh, that he is going to split them up. And um, so, so that um, one of them starts the home opener and then the, uh, the other gets the, uh, the, the first game of the season. And I, I think that it would be appropriate. I think if, uh, if Max got the first start of the year, I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you there. He's the incumbent, um, albeit only for a season, but still, he, he was he was already here for a year, and um, you know, uh, just get just get the win. I guess that's that's all that matters to me. Um, I'm sure that you know, on for the home opener to be able as a fan or showing up or whatever, uh, watching on TV, whatever the case may be, you know, seeing Justin Verlander making his home Mets debut on the same day as the Mets home opener. I think that would be pretty cool. And I think it would probably bring a little buzz to the stadium after uh, the Mets are on the road to start the year. And, you know, it's going to be a very exciting year. I I think uh, we'll we'll quote Pete Alonzo from from Wednesday. It's going to be a really special year. So buckle up. And I think, you know, these are I think Buck even said it today. It's a really good problem to have. Like, oh, who do we start opening day? this future hall of famer or this future hall of famer. Yeah. And and I think this is really one of the first times in my life where I'm looking at a Mets team, the way that it's built and, uh, and I'm not necessarily worried so much. I mean, obviously there are going to be injuries. Needs are going to come up. The team will hopefully become more fortified at the trade deadline, which, you know, we're going to talk so many times before then, but (laughs) 
I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I, I feel very confident, very comfortable. And, uh, and a lot of that is because I, I think that that's the vibe that the team is giving up. Uh, they are, they're confident in their abilities. They know that they didn't get the job done last year, even though they had a great regular season. And, um, and so I, I think that that's going to keep them focused. And I really appreciated Max's comments today about uh, you know, focusing on making sure that his body, all the different pieces of the machine are kind of ready so that he can avoid the, the things that sidelined him last year, the oblique in particular. Um, he said that the first time he understood why it happened. The second time uh, he didn't really have an explanation as to why it went. So um, that focus, I think, has a really good potential at, at keeping the Mets at the top of the division. Yeah. I mean, look at it, look at it like, a, like it's a horse race. I mean, you want to get your guy out there and keep him consistently steady, consistently performing the whole time. That's ideal. And you want to finish strong, of course. You know, if you have to, and I know, I believe, I want to say Max even said on, on Wednesday, 200 innings was his was his target and yeah you know that would be that would be great i mean that would be outstanding but um i mean at least from a from a fan's perspective i, I i'm okay with giving a tyler mcgill a spot start david peterson getting him in there i know there's been a lot of talk about him in in recent days and weeks uh just even around twitter i think a lot of fans are kind of clamoring to see what he could do in the rotation personally i'd love to see him in a trevor williams type you know swingman role but you know whatever keeps your big dogs fresh for the for the long haul i'm okay with it i mean 200 innings would be a really nice goal and a, a really great example to set for the you know one your your co-leaders of the uh, of the rotation but yeah, I'm I'm more concerned at this point with keeping everybody healthy, keeping everybody effective, and if they're putting forth a more concerted effort to keep everybody healthy and keep everybody fresh and avoid injuries and avoid hiccups in progress. I mean, that's all we're, what it really comes down to anyway. If they can do that, it's going to be a really really tough team. Um I do like that they were they're even still looking for more additions. And I think that Epler's been very clear about that. They're always looking to make the team better. I think they were one of the teams checking out Zach Britton today. And I'm I think that everyone's pretty happy with the bullpen, but adding a guy like Zach Britton, who's yeah, you know, he has a track record. He has certainly has the experience to be very good in this league. Um, you know, he's just coming off of injury. He's gotta maybe prove himself again. This team is doing all they can to just continue to get better and reinforce what they already have, and very exciting stuff. How yeah. do you feel about Britain? Are you, you're, would you? I think I think everyone would be okay with bringing him in, right? Yeah, well, he has a, a good background with Buck. Uh, obviously, that um, what was that? That was the 2014 playoffs where uh, where Buck left him in the bullpen. Oh, in what Toronto. a team, though! What a team. Yeah, um, but. I mean, assuming that there's no hard feelings there, I think that the that Britain would be a good addition. Uh, one thing that Anthony DeComo said today, um, obviously there's that flexibility and there's room for another lefty with the Mets, but the Mets are prioritizing uh, bullpen flexibility. So 
as far as that goes, whether he whether Britain fits in with that role, uh, I'm not sure. But this uh, this front office has had a a really solid off season, so I'll defer to them as to uh, as to what they decide. But um, I'll tell you what I'm really excited about um, and to see it is uh, how Senga fits in with uh, with the rest of the guys and and what he brings because. I think that Senga is really the kind of X factor for this club. If he pitches really well and he can eat a bunch of innings, if that ghost work really happens to to baffle National League hitters, I think that uh, that makes the Mets that much more formidable. You talk about taking pressure off of the horses. If you have a third guy that you can really count on in, in that role, uh, I I think that, that that could make the difference for these Mets. Oh, absolutely. And, and if he can really be a third ace or even close, you know, that it, it gives Cookie a little bit of breathing room. It gives Jose Quintana a little bit of room to really show everyone what he's bringing to the table, which could be really, really solid back-end depth. Um, like we talked about before between Peterson and McGill, and even going back to what you were saying before that about internal competition, which everybody knows I'm a very big fan of, it's going to bring the product as a whole just through the roof. It's going to make everyone better, ideally, in a perfect world, of course. But yeah. I mean, that's looking at the rotation. That's looking at the bullpen. You bring in Britain with all that experience and all that veteran leadership. The first guy I think of is Drew Smith is – well, what, what is a guy like Drew Smith who has all the ability in the world, what is he going to be able to take away from a Zach Britton? Then you look at Kodai Senga, he's had there in, in a rotation with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. What's he going to be able to pull out of those guys? I think you hit, it, hit the nail on the head that this is just an extremely exciting time for the Mets as, a, as an organization. That includes players, front office, fans, everybody. It's... it's um. I think we're just collectively over the moon. Toss that in with today's the day the pitchers and catchers report, and yeah, you can't wipe the smile off my face. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you're talking about internal competition. I think one spot that we're all kind of looking at is third base, where Escobar was a little bit up and down. He had one really, really phenomenal month, uh, and it's uh, kind of wondering whether Brett Beatty is going to have enough of a uh, spring to really kind of put himself into that conversation for hey maybe this guy should have the job maybe not immediately but uh in the, in the first few months of the season um but i i did think that there was a, a funny thing tying together the the senga and the third base uh michael mayer tweeted out a clip uh a conversation that senga had with uh rob friedman pitching ninja and uh he said that Senga said that he started playing baseball as a third baseman and and told the Mets hitting coaches that uh, if you need me, uh, I'm here. I can fill in in that role as well. So I thought that was hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Imagine that. Imagine one of those wild, uh, I think, in 86, they had to move everyone around the diamond. Even, I believe that was 2012, 2013. Oh, boy. It's all, it's all a, a blur to me, but... Um, they had to move, I believe it was Daniel Murphy, back and forth a bunch of times. And again, you know, you have to move guys around. That's fine. You do what you have to do. But 
oh, I can't see them moving Sanga out to third base, even as a, <laughs> even for a player to God forbid something happened. No, as no. far as Beatty though, I think everyone who's kind of fringe, everyone who's kind of fighting for a roster spot or fighting for position heading into the season, as far as depth chart wise, once players and the Mets have so many players going to the world baseball classic, once that kind of window opens for guys to really show what they can do against, you know, whether it be guys, their level fringe major leaguers or on their way to being major leaguers or guys who just aren't in the world baseball classic who they can really, you know, test their, their, their bat against, or if you're a pitcher, you know, vice versa. Um, I think that's going to be a telltale sign of how things will shake out roster wise. I think that if Beatty, has an unbelievable spring. I think the same could be said for Alvarez, but I'm in the minority there. I know that. If they have really, really impressive, like too good to ignore springs, I think there's a chance that both could be in the mix come opening day and Mets will adjust accordingly. I think ideally, yeah, they want to let these guys get 100% ready and then take it from there. But hey, if these guys are ready now, you know, the more the merrier in internal competition which it all comes back down to anyway. Yeah, I, I think with Alvarez, and yeah, I, I agree. I think you're in the minority on that one. But <laughs> Oh, I'm going to toot that horn until, I'm, until they, they, they take it away from me, bro. And I, I hope that you're right in that, like, he forces their hands. But they, they clearly set out with a, a goal here. They were going to improve the, the, the defense, but not at the cost of having uh, – poor offense behind the plate and they went out and got Narvaez and then Nito produced for, uh, for most of the season um, behind the plate and showed that he could handle those regular catching duties. And, and so I think for him, for Alvarez to unseat those guys uh, in a, uh, in any sort of timeshare setup, I think is, is unlikely. But one guy that I know that you do love uh, Ronnie Mauricio was um, getting some work today in Mets camp. Uh, Anthony DiComo tweeted out some photos of him working out in the uh, in the infield. Uh, what do you think his future looks like with the Mets? Uh, do you think that Mauricio is anything more than trade bait at this point? He had a great um, Dominican Winter League season. Uh, do you, where, what do you think his role is on the 2023 Mets? On the 2023 Mets, I'm not sure he has a a role on the 2023 Mets. Organizational-wise, I think it's more than possible that he remains and they get more reps at him at third base or they maybe try him out in the corner outfield spots this year. I, I wouldn't take a trade off the table. I think that he's got a lot of buzz behind him. The Mets have every reason to go out and add during the trade deadline. And, you know, unless Mauricio's – somehow, you know, changes his entire plate, plate approach and they have tangible, you know, proof of him taking that step. You know, I think that he's always going to be discussed, but if he could take that step in the minors this year, and even if it's just showing a little bit of discipline at the plate, I think everything else is coming along fine. If he would just be a little bit more disciplined at the plate, I wouldn't trade this guy for anything. I think he's going to be a star, even with a shitty walk rate. Excuse my language. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it clean. Mm -hmm. um, but for a guy like Mauricio, um, I do everything. If it's my team, I do everything in my power 
to exhaust all my options as far as keeping him in-house. And I wouldn't publicize that because then that kind of lowers your leverage when you do try to move him, if you try to move him. But yeah, I'm so taken by his potential that I am, I do all I can to try and keep him in-house, but nobody's untouchable. And, you know, you could say a few guys are untouchable and you'd probably be right, but, you know, if the Mets are neck and neck with the Braves or the Phillies and they have the opportunity to make their team exponentially better and it's going to cost them a Ronnie Mauricio or a Brett Beatty or, you know, loud gasp Francisco Alvarez, sure, it'll be a really tough decision, but you have to kind of entertain it, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that was a, I think that that little soliloquy is going to turn into an, an, an article at some point this week. I'm going to have to go back to that. Darren, we got anything else on the docket for today? Or are we coming back next week with uh, with all the news? Well, we got to come back next week. The last thing that I wanted to touch on, um, last week, uh, Khalil Lee was uh, oh, yeah. accused of uh, an assault by his former girlfriend uh, and became the subject of an MLB investigation. Uh, the Mets released him from the 40-man roster, he passed through waivers, and then uh, remained with the club. And the team invited him to to Major League uh, Spring Training. What did you make of that? Because that seems like it was antithetical to what the the Mets, how they've been trying to conduct business in the the post-Wilpon era. Honestly, I have no idea what to make of it. Um, On the surface, it it makes no sense. you just give him his outright release if you don't want him to be a part of the organization, which, you know, even before this domestic violence incident um, where, you know, they DFA'd him. And I think that was the correct move. I guess in a business sense, you keep him in the organization, try to move him, do what you have to, but to bring him into major league camp. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't understand. And I don't know the innards of, organizational transactional stuff <laughs> to know to, to even give a reason why they would have. Um, yeah. I, I would say stay home until minor league camp um, and, and get ready to hang out in Syracuse all summer. Yeah. And, and honestly, just give him his outright release from the organization. Unless there's more to this story that we don't know what, what else are you waiting for? But you know, I, I'm going to reserve my speculation until we do know everything and you know it, but if it's what it seems like i can't wrap my head around why he's still here i really can't but yeah i agree with you uh i think that it was an odd decision i'd like for that to come out that way after the mets made a pretty decisive action uh when the allegations were released so uh, something that we'll keep following, and yeah, we will be back next week to uh, to talk about everything else. Everything. Oh my god, I'm so it's just it's so nice to have notifications popping off with actual news. It's ah, baseball's back, baby. All right, guys, sign off time. It's sign off time. It's let's fucking go Mets. You guys know that by now. Um, we're back next week. We might even have another guest. We shall see, but we'll uh, we'll have to figure figure that out in due time. Darren, you have a good week, my friend. You too. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace.